welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. Together, we'll play in the customer experience sandpit, leaving no stone unturned as we address today's burning marketing issues. CMOs need to be more versatile than ever before as they abandon stale thinking, integrate data insights and technology, create seamless brand experiences, and maintain customer-centric human connections to serve and simplify their customers' lives. From the Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Future Pet Tribe, welcome to yet another episode on the Carmen Murray Show. I am super excited. I have a fireball in the studio. I have Puleng Mahwadibe, who is sitting here with me, and she is one of Africa's renowned design thinkers. I think she's traveled across the globe doing design thinking. She's high in demand. Everybody loves her. And being in customer experiences and being involved heavily in, in that department, I have never come across a person that is so charismatic and can actually take people onto these journeys and break patterns and bring people to life ever. And I'm honored to sit down with Puling and have a discussion about this design thinking. If you're a small business, if you're a corporate, design thinking should be in your DNA. And we're going to talk about how this can make you an alchemist and help you to reinvent yourself out of the box post-COVID-19. So Puling, how are you? I am very well, thank you. And thank you for having me here. I'm so honored. No, I'm super excited. I'm going to ask you one question because you and I, let's be honest, I, I think I'm, I'm not even going to try and be a Willy Wonka. I'm going to tell you the truth, <laughs> not sweet, sugarcoating it. Um, I'm an extrovert and I have found lockdown very hard because I pull my energy from people and it's been a bit hard. So I want to find out how, what has changed for you and how did you experience lockdown? Sure, it's been very intense, hey? In terms of I have a family, two kids, one husband, one husband. And <laughs> well, mate, mate, we just want to make sure one husband, okay? <laughs> so there's been four of us in the house locked down. And to my surprise, to be honest, just as surprised as I got 10 years back when I lost my mom, very tragically, I started out off, you know, in extreme pain and then there was peace and I was peaceful and I've been peaceful for 10 years made absolute peace with this and the lockdown when it started I remember saying to one of our colleagues at Henley that I feel such a sense of peace and positivity and I just feel like I could give mm. this love and energy and this sense of just calm inside of me to everyone so I started off like that and that's all I wanted to do every morning. I wanted to wake up and find who can I impart and give and share. Mm. And that's kind of what I did for two months. Literally, mm. I would find whether it's a bunch of girls that want us to pray online or a bunch of people that just want to share or uh, designing a 40th birthday party for a friend I haven't talked to for months on wow. Zoom <laughs> in another country or designing a conference that actually reached over 500 people, 41 countries represented that was designed in one day sure, and advertised in one day. So it's been extraordinary in that sense that mm. I just got continually surprised at the grace strength mm. 
an everyday positivity. Mm. It's it's really been surprising totally. And my kids, it's literally flowed either from them or to them because they have surprised me up until today. I have a six and an eight year old. I've never seen it here. I have never heard a complaint. Wow. Well, I mean, you've really been able to to manage that one quite well. I remember seeing a picture that you put on your door and that you posted on LinkedIn. Said, oh, talk to us about that picture because I thought it was hilarious. So that was the one huge um, shift that happened in my house. When your home where you are meant to bring a sense of peace, comfort, fun, laughter, food, joy, suddenly becomes an office where you teach from nine in the morning to five in the evening. And I did all these design thinking programs for Hindi Business School. It was mad that I was in the house. My kids wanted to connect with me, love me, hug me. And I was like, from eight to 12, I'll be teaching and nobody should enter this room. And it's a room in the house. Mm. I'll see you at lunch when we eat quickly, play quickly, and I'll go back to class. So I think that part really for the first two weeks kind of messed up with my mind. Just Mm. how do you suddenly use this space to multitask and to become these two different characters? A Mm. character that's a teacher that's dedicated, that's totally consumed with the success of the delivery of the programs, but also a character that brings love, joy, fun, food, all the good things and Mm. makes the home home. Mm. That was something else. So I had to find ways to manage that and had to sit with my kids on several occasions to say, it's all right, I'm here and I have to do this for us to keep this house, first of all, (laughs) and to have the food. (laughs) This has to happen. So we just have to respect the boundaries and the space, but I'm your mom and I love you and I'm doing everything because I love you. I love that. Um, Okay, so... Let's get into design thinking. So first of all, what is design thinking? And I think there's a confusion between custom experiences and design thinking being the same thing. I think they live in different segments, but they're all integrated. So maybe talk us through what your take is on that. So design thinking is a very versatile concept. And I totally agree with you that lots of people confuse it for customer experiences or customer journeys and so on. Very dynamic, very divergent uh, concept to a point where when I was writing my PhD thesis on design thinking and creative problem solving, the application of the two into the body of knowledge of project management. One night I said to my husband, after reading like hundreds of blogs and books and academic papers, and I was doing my literature review, I said, you know, I'm sure for every letter of the alphabet, I can find a matching design thinking concept. Hmm. And my husband said, what do you mean? I said, I'm telling you from A to Z, because this thing is so dynamic. Mm. It's not just one thing. I used to think it's just the process. At one point, I thought it's just the mindset. And all of a sudden, it's so dynamic. And I don't want to limit it to one thing. I want to retain this divergent view of it and keep growing it. So that night, I woke up. And from A to Z, I found words that would explain what design thinking is. 
So wow. literally, A for ambiguity tolerance, B for brainstorming, C for creativity and co-creation, D for diversity, E for empathy, F for feature thinking, G for guided mystery, H for human-centeredness, all of it, like all the way to Z. Oh my and goodness. And I put together this manuscript, it's in my PhD thesis, and all of it I could match it to a book, an academic leader, or a blog so all of it had sources. So I actually ended up publishing it as a book. It's called The Alchemy of Design Thinking, which is a digital book that has a QR code for each and every one of those letters mm. that gives you now a whole lot of information for each and every one of those principles. So there's a particular academic who I like to reference who said, Design thinking could be considered as lots of tools that make you think using imagination. And then he also said it's also a mindset and various mindsets that you can apply to problem solving. Mm. He also said it's a way of thinking. So whether you apply systems thinking, holistic thinking, divergent thinking, and so on. And he categorized it quite nicely and but even that still cannot limit mm. our definition of design thinking. It's, it's very versatile. It's very much a very complex thing. And I find the most intimidating moment is that blank canvas. You know, I always think of Steve Jobs, like writing on the glass and, you know, the mathematicians and all, ugh, you know, everybody like it just became this cool thing to write on glass and write on white papers or on the walls, which is great. But it's like when you have that blank canvas and you have to start thinking, where do I start? So I think maybe let's take it a step back. We are finding ourselves in a situation where most people are in crisis mode. I was driving, um, we, we stay um, in Parkhurst and we were driving in the main street and I think five or six restaurants were already closed. Closed, they're not opening again. I decided to take to the streets on Saturday with my mask because I miss people. <laughs> and I saw everybody was prepping for level three. And I went to go and ask people, where are you at? Like, how are you feeling? Where are you going into the future? And, and people are, are like, you know, there's a lot of suggestions coming from a lot of people that by saying it, it sounds great. But in theory, it's not possible. Like I'm talking lease agreements, you know, those kind of things. You know, it's easy to say, you know, you can do X, Y and Z or you can use the space for a different thing um, or sublet it. But Legally, it's not allowed, and that's not how the contract in South Africa, for example, are, are put together. So you're finding a lot of small businesses and large businesses that are facing their reality. And there's actually something very interesting that um, I would like to you know, highlight. Alvin Toffler, he wrote the book Future Shock. So he speaks about future shock as like, you know, when the future comes to you um, in a short amount of time, it's just all of a sudden just pounces upon you. And this whole idea of learn, unlearn, and relearn, as we all know. But all of a sudden, nothing feels permanent. So we are creating a new society, not a changed society. It's a new track. So this means we need to design think. So I want you to maybe take us through the process of I'm in a crisis. How do I design think myself out of this box if I'm a solo entrepreneur and I can maybe do it with my team? Where do we start? I can't say I have a formula for it, but I'll share some design thinking principles that can help you to navigate that thinking space. So I said the very A of design thinking is ambiguity tolerance. You talk about intimidation of 
a blank page mm-hmm. that we all feel when you get into a space and it's just blank and you have to fill it up with your own creative power. And it's natural. I always say the education system taught us and channeled us to think, come up with solutions and you know, you better get your tick instead of the red big cross yes. <laughs> education system and you better make it right and you better have your references and you better do it according to the what you have been taught. Design thinking says be comfortable with not knowing. That's ambiguity tolerance. Get into a space and say, I don't know. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I really don't. Mm. And even if you had a slightest knowledge about something, pack that knowledge aside Mm. And just be present in the moment, meaning bring your whole self into the current moment and now think from that space. What is the type of thinking? So design thinking encourages that. It's a deeply human-centered approach that encourages you to think humanity first. Mm. You don't have to look very far. You just have to connect to what are the human needs right now. Mm-hmm. What is humanity longing for? What is the need of humanity right now that may not be articulated yet and you might need to research a bit to get to the depth of it? And you'll only get to know about this need by connecting with other humans Mm. and having these really deep conversations around what are people needing right now? So that empathy of design thinking, those empathy maps that we use in customer journeys is mm. really to see the world from another's perspective and bring your emotions and feelings into it and understand the world from just a have a human perspective and then define that need i love that because and just for our audience if you're not familiar with the you know the empathy map that is what you think you feel your senses um, I like to call it emotional weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in this particular moment, how do you feel? Um, what are you thinking? And it's in the point of view from from that particular individual or customer, you know, me being a marketing specialist, I find it's very important to always look at the voice of the customer. We sometimes make these big decisions without our customers in the room. And I once, I went for this pitch, right? It was a very big telco. I went and I I did the pitch and they told me no words. What? Don't talk me through your pitch. Show it to me. And it's like a room of six or seven people. I'm like, but I have to talk you through it. (laughs) She's like, no, I don't want to hear your words. I want to read what you're pitching to me. And I want to be able to understand what you're saying there because if you have to explain this to me, how is the customer going to understand it? So your pitch must tell me the story immediately that I need to convey and I need to be able to get it from your pitch without you needing to talk. That was the weirdest thing that I've <laughs> ever done in my life. But it actually, I really introspected during that time. And I think this is exactly where, where we're at. It's like, I'm just going to take examples for people that have beauty salons, people that have hair salons. You really need to think very, very differently. Yes, there's a need. Of course, I want to have my hair done. Um, yes, I want to have my nails done. I want to do all of those things. But the reality is it's a very big danger. Stop trying to force your, yourself onto a situation that you can't change. Think of a temporary solution. Um, I, I One of my mentors said to me something very interesting the other day. Is, 
people ask, what do you do? Maybe just answer them, whatever's next. Because <laughs> this is maybe our new reality. And um, I love that. <laughs> whatever comes next. I love it. <laughs> so um, I think this is the thing that I think people need to start looking and really paying attention to the present. Faith Popcorn, who is one of the world's top futurists, we've interviewed her a few times now. She taught me something very valuable. I, I had the privilege to spend a day with her. And she taught me one thing is pay attention to the present. And see what's happening around you. From my perspective, what I want to ask you is, okay, right. I've got this blank piece of paper and I've got post-it notes. Uh, guys, this is what design thinkers do. You've got lots of paper. You start with chaos, right? Talk us through how you would facilitate that kind of process. The first thing is getting people comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> so comfortable with not knowing studying from that space which I think a lot of design thinking practitioners take for granted mm. the old way of doing things says send out a program let us be clear on how we're going to navigate this journey and step by step time by time all of that the design thinking way which a lot of people you said what is that alchemy mm. is get people into a space even without disclosure of the program mm. Mm. so that they are present mm. so that sense of I am here and all I have is me in this moment and I'm putting away my knowledge about this context we are here together present wholeheartedly and connecting as humans not as CEO of director of an expert in or a doctor in philosophy of we are human. Mm. We are thinkers and we are in this moment. Then you navigate them through this process with the right language stems. So a lot of people also miss out on why do we use a certain language? The language stems are there to guide you through the type of conversations people must have. So when we say we are in this space which starts with empathy, context, understanding, formulating challenge questions. If we are formulating challenge questions, then they can't be statements. They can't be knowledge of something. It has to be questions. So give people a language to use. That's why we will hear saying, start your sentences with how might we. That forces people to formulate questions because mm. now you have to say, how might we still have money to pay our bond at the end of the month in the midst of COVID? Mm. That ends with a question mark. How might we keep our kids engaged and present in the midst of? That ends with a question mark. So you haven't stated a bunch of answers because all of you don't know. You have stated a bunch of questions. Mm. That's where you should start. And then... Based on these questions, you build more rigor in the questions through clustering, sense-making, and create more robust, more interesting questions. Now that you would have um, these robust questions that you want to move forward with, I always say use these eight eyes to determine which questions that you want to go forward with. So the first eye is, is it innovative? Is it forcing you to innovate? Is it imaginative? Is it something that you can influence? And then is it interesting? Is it something that genuinely interests you as a person? 
Does it ignite you with energy and light? Mm. And is it important to answer? And is it inspirational? Does it inspire you to work on it? And lastly, does it prepare you for the next phase, which is ideation? So do you have ideas around it? So sometimes you have a question that's amazing, that's interesting, but you really don't have ideas around it. So you can't move forward in the process. So these eight eyes are important in that. It's a litmus paper that I would use to determine, is it worth my time? Mm. Because now you want people to be 100% engaged and interested in the matter. And it must be something that they can do something about. So many of us want to solve lots of the world's problems, but we might not have the capacity to do so. So this is this litmus paper is going to help you to determine what is it that I can influence and what is it that is really out of my sphere of influence. You know, it's so profound listening to that. I'm just thinking, my, not, you know how my mind goes. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I could use this actually in my interviews <laughs> as my interviewing skills. I mean, to improve on that because, you know, there's, I can't remember the person that said the quote, my husband, um, he used to be a journalist. He always said the same thing is that you should never, ever judge a person by their answers, but you should judge them by the questions Questions. that they ask. And this is so, so profound. And I love the idea of, of really digging into those questions because sometimes you, you ask a question just for the sake of it, just to have a question. I'm one of those people that believe dig deep. Mm. Because the first things that's going to come out of your mind is is the bad ideas. It's not the good stuff. Mm. The good stuff comes when you start, when you're running out of options mm. and you really need to start thinking. And this is where design thinking, I think, becomes paramount. And something that you just told me, I want to share a story with you. There was a design thinking workshop that was happening. A friend of mine who works for an agency with a, a very large organization and it was a very interesting dynamic. You talk about being uncomfortable. So they had the CEO and then they had the secretary and they had people on the ground in the front line. And the CEO was just talking. He was just talking and everybody else was just sitting there. They had to remove the CEO out of the room. And the biggest ideas that came out of that room was after the CEO was removed. Talk to me about that kind of dynamic. Very important. And that was a very big finding in my thesis and something that I use a lot. So I found that we take thinking spaces for granted most of the time. So you just think by getting a bunch of people together with who come from different backgrounds and we're here to ideate, you know, diversity, the D in design thinking has been respected. You have diversity of skills and diversity, maybe even of levels in the organization and so on. And now you can just get them together and think together. They're not. There's a lot of things that come into a play when you bring these people together. Social, cultural stuff, unfortunately, most of them. Because when you get into a space, and it's a space where hierarchy is so important, so there's a CEO, there's a um, middle manager, and then there's an intern. An intern feels intimidated if the facilitator hasn't facilitated a space of thinking equals and a Mm. psychologically space a safe space for all to think together and to share their ideas authentically. Mm. So the intern is just not going to share much. The CEO is going to feel overpowered. And then, oh, sometimes you come into a space and you're the only black person. There's just white people. And somehow you come in with that sense of 
self-imposed inferiority from whatever background or wherever you come from. Or you walk into a space, you're the only white and it's black people. That can Mm. create a sense of holding back. Or you get into a space and everybody has a PhD and you don't have a degree and everybody's speaking at that level. You hold back your ideas. Or sometimes economic class. Everyone comes from a certain economic class and you've just walked into this meeting from a taxi. Everybody, you know, is from a well-economically enabled background. So many things play a role. People have been in the organization for 30 years. You are new and you hold back your ideas. So what you really want to create in this environment, first and foremost, is to create a space that's psychologically safe for each person, which is why I talked about we're all humans. Mm. Let go of all you know, who you are, where you come from. We're all humans. Let's connect. And I would use very simple uh, techniques like draw each other's faces without looking at the paper and without looking your pen from paper. All of a sudden, people have portraits that are similar and it's all gibberish. No one looks cuter than the other. It's just this gibberish, this is going to be your portrait for the day. And we have gotten rid of anyone who feels like they are better than the other. Or play games or just create an atmosphere of play where Mm. people can just be present without all of those things that play uh, with our minds and really mess us up. And all of a sudden we have laughed so much together first thing in the morning we will connect, we will co- share ideas and it doesn't matter. My ideas don't have to be amazing. My ideas don't have to be, you know, better than anybody else's. Ideas are just ideas. This mm. is green and that is silver and it doesn't matter. And then we keep building on each other's ideas. So you spoke about how most of the time to get to third level thinking level ideas which are really innovative first in the world ideas you do have to get rid of first level thinking ideas which are ideas that are common to all people Mm. get rid of second level thinking ideas which might be new to you but not new to other people third level thinking we get there by getting rid of all of that junk now we are in space we are in an idea cloud together that we have created and we are playing we are exploring we have reached that high level diversions where everyone is now really playing around with this concept and creating. It really takes art and skill to get a bunch of people there. But when they are there, you also, I'm continuously marveling at how intelligent and how amazing and creative people are, regardless of age, education, race, economic, whatever everyone can get there if they're just given the sea of design thinking which is creative confidence that is beautiful that's like poetry <laughs> creative confidence but this is this is the whole idea like john flismas you, you and john flismas are, are great friends and you guys always talk about um this breaking of the patterns it's so important because we all know the story we get told um not to be you know, to not to explore too much. And when we're children, you know, stay in the lane. If you do something wrong, go and sit in the corner. We we all raised um with constraints. And then you come in this in this world and then you go into a corporate environment and everything is like 
to the T how you need to perform and how you need to think. You are told how to think. It's not the other way around. And it's this old legacy system. And now all of a sudden, there's such a desperate need for creativity. But now we have a problem because we've conditioned a completely different human being not to feel free to be creative. I mean, the Renaissance era. I'm fascinated at the moment with the Renaissance era. And the reason for that is because that that was the day, the time when um, the modern world was just born after the Black Death. Mm. The Leonardo da Vinci's and Nostradamus and all of them got born. But most people were at home because of that pandemic. So they were home and they were just being creative. They started reading a lot. And then when Johannes Gutenberg started the printing press, that's where the magical moment happened because... All of a sudden, information was democratized and people started reading. And this is where ideas started going wild. And coffee shops were the place where where people came together. And this is where innovation happened was this hunches of you have one part of the idea and I have the other part. And that's what I love about design thinking. Absolutely. And I listened to your talk on the 21 lessons when you spoke about the renaissance. I just thought this is genius. Like I, I really connected to that part of your presentation. And you are absolutely right that, in fact, there's a whole slide that I like to share around. Innovation comes from a collision of hunches. Mm -hmm. If innovation comes from a collision of hunches, how do you create a hunch-free atmosphere? An atmosphere where people are free to share their hunches. What is a hunch? A hunch is that thing that comes from here, from your gut, that you don't have a thick um, encyclopedia to reference about this feeling. It comes from you, from within. You don't have a reference point or knowledge or something that supports it, except from it's from you. It comes from your inner knowing mm. that cannot be explained. So imagine creating an atmosphere where people are free to share about their hunches. Mm. And like you rightly pointed out, innovation comes from your hunch combined with my hunch combined with another person's hunch and then all of a sudden, we've reached that third level thinking. I'm going to almost be the devil's advocate now when it comes to ideation. I'm very passionate about ideation. I believe we're all imagineers. There's, you, you play in the left brain and right brain, a little bit of research and a little bit of analytics. And then obviously your creativity goes. And I'm going to use an example. Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, Harvard. There was an idea by the twins that was shared with them that they wanted to start in Harvard can't remember it was what it was called and face smash or something like that and he took that idea because their idea was not good enough so instead of collaborating on the idea with them he went to go and create facebook on his own this is the thing this is like we're living in an era where people are becoming very precious about their ideas i have to plead guilty like in my you know working in marketing when you pitch ideas and then six months later your idea is on a billboard and it's not been done through you, you tend to put up your guard. Hey, wait a minute. I'm not going to share all my ideas. There is some things I need to keep in my treasure chest. What is your your view on that? <laughs> Very interesting. And yes, you're right. <laughs> I had to go there because... <laughs> went to a very sensitive place and I'm going to answer it so honestly. I think I'm going to be judged for this. No, I've been in exactly the same. I'm very abundant minded. I'm very, I give, I share. 
I love to share and give and share and give, whether it's ideas, knowledge, whatever, and any platform for me to give. Mm. If I didn't have to make money, I would literally live for the rest of my life to keep giving and to wake up to think, where do I impart, where do I share? Mm. Ideas, sometimes I get challenged. I want to hold on to them because I know <laughs> that sometimes they can get into, you You share your idea prematurely. It gets into the hands of someone who is resourced, mm-hmm. who is connected. They run with it faster than you. And it's gone. Yeah. And I also realized that we undervalue ideas most of the time. So you think it's just an idea so I can just share it. No, that might just be your sometimes. So there are two very opposing views, which is another thing about Zen thinking, the ability to hold Mm. totally opposing truths. Mm. There's one truth here that says your idea is your certain ideas, probably your intellectual capital, your precious thing that's going to give you a breakthrough forever. So guarded, uh, invest in it, honor it and make sure that it happens and protect it. That's why we have IP mm. and protect your idea because it's that precious. It's yours. The universe dropped it out to you mm. and Treat it with respect and honor it. You know what I'm saying? If I give you this cell phone and you look after it, you cover it, you 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 take care of it, you have to honor it like that, mm. right? Then there is an extreme view, which is when you do actually share your ideas and give them to the world, there's such a powerful potential for that hunch to Combine with another hunch and for that idea to expand, explode Mm. and become something out of this world bigger than you. And it serves humanity and it serves a bigger purpose than your little idea that you are holding on so tightly to. And, and I think you're right. There's there's a there's a grey line. Like uh, the first thing that comes to mind is Vodacom and the please call me, uh-huh. huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. So that that big lawsuit that happened where mm. the guy was actually in the finance department. He wasn't even mm. working in the marketing or in the product development teams or anything. He came up with the idea. They made billions off it. I mean, per day, I think there's like 43 million please call me's happening just on one network. And then came the lawsuit because it was his idea and he felt that he should have been compensated. And I had a a friend of mine that said something very powerful to me and it's really stuck with me. And she always said to me, your idea is never good enough if it can be duplicated. Hmm. You really need to make sure that it's all in the execution. Nobody Mm -hmm. can, can bring an idea to life like you can. So it's about the execution, but your idea must be so solid that there needs to be something that you can't copy. It's another thing with the design thinking process. The gift that it gave me is that clear process that you follow. So Mm. I said questions, then ideas, then prototype. Mm. How fast do you move your idea from just being an idea Mm. up in the air, pie in the sky kind of concept to something tangible, real that you can demonstrate and give a real experience to others. So what you said about when you pitched and they said, give us an experience of that Mm. rather than your PowerPoint or 
your beautiful slides. Mm. So how quickly can you move it into a prototype, tangible, something that people can touch and feel? Mm. So an example, this ABC of design thinking, the Alchemy of Design Thinking book that I wrote, I, it was first an idea, right? And then I said to my husband, this is possible, I can find. And then I made it happen in my thesis, a bunch of A to Z of different concepts of design thinking. Then mm. it bec- I presented it in the States in a conference and everybody took pictures of my ABCs of design thinking. That's a big thinking. moment when the, those cameras come out and take pictures yes, of your slides. <laughs> the risk, the risk. Oh, you're right. The you're biggest right. risk you're ever. Right. Some people, these people are practitioners. They can take this, claim it as their work. Nothing stops them because I mm. hadn't protected my idea. So as soon as I came back to South Africa, I was like, I need to publish this as a book ASAP. That's what made me to self-publish even because the publishers were taking their time. Mm. Self-published to protect my IP. But then at the same time, presented it back to the States the following year as a book that was still just a prototype. I had a vision that this would be a fully interactive book with QR codes where people can, it will be a book with a YouTube channel and a website and people can get more information about each and every one of those but I presented it as just these are the principles and I'll do the QR codes later just as a prototype but then at least there was something tangible that respected it has only become a real book with all of that a couple of years later that is that is so profound and so clever And, and and also just to your point I love following Stanford University. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obsessed with them, and especially the innovation uh, departments. And they had a podcast, and they were talking about, I don't know if you practice this, but um, pre-storming. Yeah. So not a lot of people are familiar with this thing, but the pre-storming is, is where you do the brainstorming on your own before the actual brainstorming. Allow people to start thinking so that they actually come with ideas and and I find that to be such a powerful thing to do that you can dig a little bit into yourself to find that idea that can build on other hunches. Yes. In isolation. Yes. I like to say that when we first encounter something, we deal with it from, you know, the tip of your iceberg, which is just your knowledge, what you can articulate in words and all of these things that happen on the surface. Mm. To dig a little deeper and where true innovation comes from is when you engage the subconscious. Yeah, So you engage the deeper aspects of you, the story, the pictures, the visuals, and all of that. Mm. So pre-storming allows you to just engage with it at that first level. Yes. Yeah? First. By the time you get together with others, you have gotten rid of the superficial engagement with a concept. Mm-hmm. You have now gone a little layer deeper. Now you come into the space with others where everybody has gone at least a second la- layer deeper. Mm. And then you dig deeper together. Then it will take a shorter time. I love that because, you know, one of my, my friends, she's got a beauty salon and she said to me, she's got eight staff working for her and she said to them, I want you in lockdown to come up with 100 ideas, 100, each one of you. And they all thought she was crazy. And then she took all of those, those questions and she tried to eliminate 
all of the same ones and to see where the new idea is coming out. And it was quite remarkable. I mean, it's a small beauty salon. Like those ideas actually spawned new innovations. I think that that first level, second level, third level thinking, I, I like that you put words to it because I, for me, I, I don't always um, refine the words. I sometimes make my own words. I love making my own words. Wah! It's just a thing for me. But anyway, um, I love the, the way that you position it. And I actually wanted to tap into this now because I want to talk about the cool exercises that one can do and that can be helpful whether you're a small business or a large organization to, to get people to get into that first level, second level, third level um, uh, mindset. Like I'll, I'll start off with an exercise that Stanford did and I loved it. I loved it. I must share it with you. They had everybody in a room and they gave them one sock. It wasn't a used one. It was, an, it was a new one. So that was good. And they said, they eliminated the obvious idea. And they said, you're not allowed to come up with the idea of it being a puppet. So how can you use this sock to provide social value, entertaining value, commercial value? And they, they broke it into five different values. And literally, they had a competition around it and it, they gave people a week and the ideas that came from it was absolutely amazing but they eliminated level one yeah. so what are exor other exercises can unleash that the right questions and ideation there's a lot and um conscious of time but some of the exercises that i use i'm just going to share two that i have found to be totally mind-blowing over the 10 years that i've been using so in fact, this other one, I got it from a um, professor of humor from the New York State University, Professor Bruce Bourne. That sounds amazing. He's <laughs> my mentor in the creativity space in 2009. He said to me, when you teach about divergence, use the concept of what is half of eight. I'm like, okay, how does that work? And he guided me through it. And he said, when you look at the number eight uh -huh. and then you tell people, come up with answers for half of eight. Possible answers for half of eight. First answer that they'll come up with is a four. That's boring. That's first level thinking. That's common. Nothing innovative about it. Of course, even a child in China and in the States and in South Africa will say half of eight is four or an elderly person. It's the first thing Effect. I thought. Of course. <laughs> Nothing interesting about that answer. Now you push them further to say, look at this number and start really engaging with other possible answers. So once you start to look at eight and engage with it, you, so you start to see it visually. You mm. see that two zeros together, stacked together, Make an eight, so zero is a possible answer for half of eight. Mm -hmm. And then you start to see a three. Then you start to see an M. You start to see a W. You start to see an S. Or oh, mountains. And mountains. Now you <laughs> shift. You have just now even shifted from what you see visually into now seeing real the objects, which is now third level thinking. Right? So you say, if it can be a zero, then it can be a watch. Because a watch is a circle, it can be a lead of a bottle, it can be anything that's circular, it can be this microphone. So now you start to tap into that level thinking just like that. Beautiful. I have, trust me on this, over 200 
pictures of half of eight exercises I've been doing with corporates across the world in the last five years. Because I started to take a picture of this flip chart with different groups that would come up with answers for half of eight and I would give them two minutes. So they start to unlock even with each other and the excitement and the letting go like, okay, let's just play together and see together and redefine. And I've seen all sorts of answers for half of it from boobs to it can be <laughs> testicles <laughs> to it can be sunglasses, anything. I've seen every answer for half of it. And it's been so fascinating because it unlocks people to, uh. oh my goodness, we never thought we can innovate. We never thought we can think new thoughts. In this two minutes, it's been demonstrated to us that we actually can to think new thoughts. And I, one day when I have time, maybe even during this COVID-19 situation, I'll put together all of these flip charts because I have hundreds oh, of those. amazing. Just to kind of like have a show of possible answers for half of it from across the world. Different groups. Oh, wait, no, because then they're going to come to the answer easily. <laughs> you want to take them through the journey. Don't yeah. do that. No, just like <laughs> to make a story around how exercises that are so simple around just getting people to think together and to unlock that it. spirit of diversions. Yeah. I'm dying to go on one of your design thinking courses. I've seen them and I've heard them. I know of a lot of people that have gone on your design thinking courses. Do you offer them to the public? You don't have to be part of a corporation? Yes, actually, I, I want to do more of that now that I have a lot of time in my hands to even do short ones, one hour sprint of design thinking virtually now that people are at home and they are waiting to be inspired, you know, be given tools to think differently, even for kids. Mm. So it's something that Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Through the alchemy inspiration, I just want to do, like I said, for the love of sharing and yeah. giving. Yeah. yeah. You're doing quite a lot in the kids space. I've, I've seen with Henley, like they've given you like almost every event, like come and talk <laughs> about kids and, and, and unleashing creativity. Final question is, what tools is your go-to when it comes to design thinking? I will give you one. Mm. You express here. Mm -hmm. to, to build your personas and your journey maps. Oh, okay. So the tools that we use in design yeah. thinking quite a bit uh, have like hundreds oh my goodness. Of, 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 of design thinking tools. The reason being, I'm very much connected with international bodies of design thinking. So And we are constantly creating the tools. So remember, even now with this virtual environment, we have had to think how do we translate all these activities and tools that we used to do in class into a virtual environment. So let me rather speak to those that speak to COVID-19 for people. Mm -hmm. Online resources like www.mirror.com. That's mm, a, a, it's an amazing uh, online platform to just get ideas flowing and people thinking together and clustering of information and organizing of thinking, uh, groups thinking together. Mural.com is another one. Mural is great, and it's also targeted for sometimes very specific outcomes. So mm. groups of people coming together for very specific outcomes, not just for the design thinking process. Mm. And then another one that I've been using over the years is stormboard.com. Mm -hmm. That's another one that has also many different templates, and you can use it 
whether it's for empathy maps, business model canvases, design thinking canvas, for various, or even just a random, just let's brainstorm together. Mm. A, a number of really good digital tools and digital platforms. Uh, I'm actually compiling a list to to put it on my website. You should for, do a webinar and it's an, and build like a community. I'm yeah. taking them through the tools and how they work. I think there's a big need and I see it in online search and, and so forth for tools. Mm. So look, I mean, I could sit and talk to you for hours and days and, and weeks and months, but um, we got to go. So how do people get hold of you? Bulen.mahwadibe at gmail.com or info at alchemyinspiration.com. And my website is www.alchemyinspiration.com. Fantastic. We will definitely make sure people reach out to you and keep us posted on these um, workshops and stuff that you're doing. I would love to attend one of them. I want to be part of the pulling movement, really. Um, Anyway, it was so divine having you here and also just talking about something we're both so passionate about. So I wish I could give you a high five, but we're not allowed to. (laughs) Anyway, so have a good one and uh, see you. you soon. Thank you so much. Really appreciate this. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.